today. I love that we're all talking. Would you stand up and wave across the room? I have a quick, quick note for you. Uh, we're having some difficulties with the lyrics up top on the screen. So this song is called Glory to Glory. If you want to get out your phones, you can just Google the lyrics or else just worship. Just I beg you, don't just stare at us silly. Worship your heavenly Father. God, it is good to be in your house this morning. We give you all the praise, all the honor, all of the worship, God. For your name is great and greatly to be praised. Hey! 
that you are exalted in this place. For thou, O Lord, are high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all God for thou O Lord are high above all the earth thou art exalted far
last time. Hallelujah. The presence of the Lord is here. And all you have to do, whatever you need from him today, is say, I receive. He is here today. Healing belongs to you. Freedom from fear and oppression and depression belongs to you. Direction and wisdom. And his presence is here. Hallelujah. Lord, we receive we receive all you have to do is receive receive whatever it is that you need from him we receive it we believe it hallelujah <laughs> thank you jesus thank you jesus thank you jesus Hallelujah. Lord, we receive from your hand. We receive from the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> the Lord is good. <laughs> the Lord is good and his mercy endures. His mercy to heal endures. His mercy, His loving kindness, His tender mercy to you endures forever. We receive it, O oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. For your faithfulness to us, O oh Lord. Thank you that you quicken bodies, that you quicken minds. You fill with joy. Hallelujah. For a spirit of heaviness, you give a garment of praise. For mourning, you give joy. We commit our lives to you. Our all. We surrender it all and hold nothing back. You held nothing back from us. We hold nothing back from you, Lord. Thank you for your presence in this place. You are faithful. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Amen. He meets with us. He meets with us. Amen. He's faithful. Praise the Lord. Well, before you're seated, let's go ahead and uh, wave at that center camera. Say hello to all of our church family who's watching and participating from home today. Praise the Lord. And after you've done that, well, you can wave at your neighbor kiss your neighbor hug your neighbor fist bump your neighbor whatever you choose to do 
the children are dismissed to kids church so they can go back there with miss lauren grades one through five praise the lord and you may be seated hallelujah thank god for his presence today amen he's a faithful god he's a faithful god if this is your first time visiting with us today, we're happy that you're here. If you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hand so we could see where you are and be sure to smile at you real big. Anybody here for the first time? No. Okay. Well, we're happy that you all are here, that our church family is here. Amen. Uh, let's see. A couple of things that we need to let you know. Um, we apologize that our screens aren't working today. Um, we've had some issues with uh, the connections. And this is some of what the media team is working on to a big term fix. Uh, some of the wiring, I don't, I don't know. They mix stuff from 10 years ago and five years ago and one year ago and it doesn't all talk to each other. Maybe that's it, we don't know. But anyway, we agree together for, uh, and we had a wonderful uh, weekend last week with the consultant uh, and Sean Klein who was here. And so, you know, the screen's not working, guys. It really is small stuff, isn't it? Imagine the presence of God was still here and we didn't have our screens. Oh my. You know, that worked years ago before we had technology. So just don't get bent out of shape if something doesn't go exactly right. We're here. We're family. We're glad to be here. And it'll get fixed. Praise the Lord. And the good news is we're fixing it. <laughs> Amen. So we'll just be patient. Let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. This is called applying the word of God in every area of our life. Amen. Praise the Lord. And if you really want to see Pastor Mike's face up close today while he's preaching because you can't see it on these screens, get out your camera, go to Facebook, and you can see him there. And you could watch him on your little phone during the message. Praise the Lord. Yeah, because our, because, anyway, okay. This Thursday, I was wrong. I made a big deal about it last week and had everybody say, this Thursday is National, Day of is National Day of Prayer. I had everybody repeat. This Thursday, while the, a completely different date was on the screen. You know, I work on calendars, and sometimes I can't remember what month it is. I, I, I'm thinking it's like two months away. It's like we're in June, and like we're only in, what are we in? May, right? Yeah. So, but this Thursday, say after me, this Thursday... This Thursday is actually the National Day of Prayer. Praise the Lord. I got it right. But I think everybody knew it except for me last week. So um, it will be here at the church at 6.30. We will be streaming live on both Facebook and YouTube. And we will have classes for the children. So come with us. It will be a time of both worship and prayer. And, you know, God is God is on the move in our nation and the world. He is. If the only thing that we see is what we see on the news, we're going to be 
downcast, oh my soul. But you know, we've got inside information plus lots of other information, and God is on the move. There is revival happening. There is an awakening happening. The church is rising up, and so we have much to rejoice over. God is answering our prayers. Amen. So, he's on the move. Glory to God. And so we want to continue to pray. We want to continue to put pressure on, you know, spiritually. God hears and answers prayer, so join us this Thursday night at 6.30. Next Sunday, in case you, some of you gentlemen don't know or you haven't been reminded, it is Mother's Day. So I'm letting you know ahead of time. Um, it'll be a great day here at the church. We will be having... Um, We'll be having a photo booth at the church. At, oh, gee, I was going to tell you several things we were doing. I don't remember what we're doing now. Um, a photo booth. Uh, we're going to have a baby dedication. If you would like your baby dedicated, contact the church. Uh, and some other things, too. And I guess we'll all be reminded about it when we come next week, because right now I'm excited about other things and not thinking about that. Okay, ladies, paint and pastry is May 22nd, Saturday. Uh, you can uh, uh, reserve your spot. There's only 24 spots. And um, they have a great time, 9.30 till noon here at the church. Reserve your spot uh, in the lobby after the service. Uh, it's, uh, I believe, $25, and you have a really nice light breakfast. You paint a great picture. Jessica, who sings up here, she's going to be doing it this. Where are you, Jess? There she is. Yeah, uh, she's going to be uh, doing this class. She actually uh, graduated, and she's an art teacher, right? Art. Is it just art, or it's probably something more fancy? Just art, okay. Anyway, she's going to be doing that class for us, and so it'll be a great time of fellowship and getting together. Um, we want to remind you that we will be having Vacation Bible School kids camp and youth camp this summer and um, yes and so you be sure to get our monthly announcement sheet um, how many of you did not get that today our monthly announcement sheet and would like one raise your hand okay run 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 go get them who wants one? Oh, this lady over here oh it's only one person awesome okay two all right, so anyway, that has all of the dates coming up to all those camps and a few things that are going on. It's uh, We're getting things cranked back up. Praise the Lord. We're grateful for that. Um, uh, let's see. Oh, I wanted to let you know this. We're going to be in the month of May uh, doing a special, another special offering. So we do it from time to time. And um, this came on my heart a few weeks ago shared it with Pastor Mike. And you know, through the years, uh, we have, God has done a really cool thing with older ministers and our church. It seemed like sometimes in the last years of some very godly ministers, older ministers, God has brought them across our path. And so it's, it's been such an honor to honor them. Uh, for example, uh, Ralph Wilkerson, um, how many of you remember him maybe from Melody Land days? Yeah. So he retired from his church, and he was a, a, a part of and doing a lot of things with our church. During some difficult times here, he'd blessed tens of thousands or more people 
in his life, hundreds of thousands, through the uh, charismatic renewal and went through difficult days. And he came across our path in those days. And we had let him use our uh, building and we did some things for him that really helped him in those times. What an honor that was. Another man, it's the only other one I'll give you. There, We have numerous stories, but I don't want to take the time. Another man by the name of Dr. Guy Duffield. He was a part of uh, the uh, Foursquare Gospel. He's gone home to be with the Lord now, oh goodness, 20 years ago. He wrote a, a book called, we studied it at Rama called Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. A godly man, wonderful man. Somehow we came across his path, or he came across ours. He lived in uh, Laguna Hills, uh, retired, elderly, in a small mobile home. And we would take him gifts at Christmas and food at Christmas. And sometimes, you know, ministers, when they're elderly, people forget about them. People just do that with older people. Unfortunately, I don't think American culture honors our elderly people. Like, for example, the Asians, and I think Hispanics are pretty good about it too, aren't they? I mean, they're very family. Italians are great, you know. Many, I'm sure I'm missing some, but Americans are not so hot about it. But the church should be. And so uh, it came in my heart. We, knew, we know of some widows who they and their husbands share uh, ministered faithfully for decades. And they're either widows or widowers. Some are retired. And, um, you know, they don't have a lot of means. Some don't even have Social Security. They opted out of Social Security. And um, so it really came in my heart that we should, out of the blue, I was thinking of it kind of, for Mother's Day, you know, like their spiritual mothers, we should honor them. And that's why I, it came in my heart. And so I just thought, well, let's, you know, there's some, there's some gentlemen too, not just, not just women. And so uh, just during the month of May, we're going to take up just, you know, however much you want to do, you can just designate it. And you can just write senior, or seniors or ministers or something like that, and we will put it toward that. And we know of people personally in this position, they've, they've been faithful. Now, they're not just older, <laughs> but they've been faithful to minister the word of God. And then a, a close friend of ours, I asked him for some other names, and um, he's, uh, we've known him for, oh dear, over 40 years, Doug Jones. He's in charge of a lot of uh, the ministers, Rhema ministers internationally. And he also gave us, we asked him for some names as well. And he knows them personally, and so we, we trust him. So I just wanted to read this scripture about that because, you know, everything that we do, it should be scriptural. So this scripture I just love. It's 1 Timothy 5.17, and I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. It says elders who do, it doesn't mean just elderly people, it really means elders means pastor, and it's also con uh, translated pastor. But elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well 
especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. Um, the, uh, the King James says that uh, they're worthy of double honor. And so that's what we want to do in the month of May. You could just uh, do it as a designation, you know, as part of your offering, whether you do it on an offering envelope here and then, you know, give it to the ushers in the buckets as you leave today or whether you give electronically. You can just give toward that project. And we just want to bless them out of the blue and write them a really nice letter expressing to them our appreciation for their faithfulness in their preaching and teaching. Amen? Praise the Lord. Beautiful. Thank you, God, for that idea. Uh, Lord, you've been faithful to us, and we're grateful for your faithfulness to us, Father. We honor you with our tithes and our offerings, because you're worthy. And Lord, you've been so faithful to provide for us, even in the dark times, times that looked like we wouldn't come through. God, you provided, and we thank you, and we praise you for it. Thank you for every person who's a part of our church. We speak and we declare for the peace of God, the provision of God, and the protection of God over them. In Jesus' name, amen. stand and worship with us again if you want to look up the lyrics to this song it's called champion by bethel music that'll be the easiest way to find it
God. In that name of Jesus, hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your holy name. We exalt the name of Jesus, our risen Savior, our Lord and King. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for manifesting yourself in this place. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to start this morning in Zechariah chapter 10. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. We know from Hosea chapter 6 verse 3, it tells us that the rain that the Lord will come to us is the rain, the early and the latter rain. And it's talking about the, the working of the Holy Spirit. We see also it says that if we'll ask of the Lord rain in the appropriate time, the last days which we are in, so shall the Lord make bright clouds. This word bright clouds is used only three times in the scripture, twice in the book of Job, and it's translated lightnings in Job. And then here in Zechariah chapter 10, it's translated bright clouds. Lightning is the, the greatest display of force or power in the natural realm. So when it says he'll make bright clouds, we must recognize that as a display of his power. But then bright clouds also has another meaning or refers to something else in the Old Testament and that is when God would appear to Moses, for example, he appeared in a glory cloud or a bright cloud you remember that Moses couldn't see the face of, of God and live, so he had to, I don't want to use the word hide, but he had to restrict his glory so that it wouldn't take Moses' life, wouldn't destroy Moses' life. Here also it says that if we ask him for the rain in the time of the latter rain, not only will he answer in a display of power or a manifestation of his presence, but he'll also give showers of rain. Now what are showers? We think of a rain shower as being just a short term sprinkling of the earth perhaps. But this word shower is the word that's used talking about the, the rain that happened in uh, the flood in Noah's day. It's also the word that's used when Elijah presided over the famine in Israel, you remember he appeared to Ahab, one of the most wicked kings in Israel's history. And he said, it's not going to rain again until I say so. And then three and a half years went by. And the Lord spoke to him and said, get up from where you are and, and uh, go to another place to outrun the rain. It talked about the abundance of rain. So showers shouldn't be looked at as just a, a, a light sprinkling, but rather something that's great in measure. Ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain.
to everyone grass in the field. And this is talking about producing salvation, bringing people into the kingdom of God. We would expect these showers of rain, these working of the Holy Ghost in the last days, to include the list of manifestations of the Spirit that we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And there is certainly much evidence of the seven of those nine manifestations of the Spirit that took place in the Old Testament. The only two that you can't find in the Old Testament or in Jesus' ministry is uh, diversities of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Those two are specific and distinctive to the church age. But we can find the other manifestations of the Spirit operating in Jesus and in others in the Old Testament. But rather than looking at that list of manifestations of the Spirit that Paul wrote to the Corinthians about, let's look a little bit further into Jesus' ministry and see what those showers of rain should look like. In Luke chapter 4, after Jesus is uh, baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost descends upon him in bodily shape as a dove, Jesus was immediately led into the wilderness not to be tempted, but he went into the wilderness to spend time with God. And it says that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then after that, after the, the uh, fasting, or during the time when the Lord was in the wilderness, it says that Satan came to him and tempted him. And we have record of the temptation. But Jesus withstood the temptation by quoting the word, speaking the word, instead of what Satan was trying to influence him to do. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And there went out a, region, a, a, a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. I want to go through the Gospels and see what Jesus what works that he did. If we're in the last days and those last days give us specific instruction to pray and what to pray for and how to pray, why would God tell us to do something if he wasn't going to answer us? Why would he tell us to pray for something if he wasn't going to make it happen? I see Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1, as God honoring the position that he's put man in here on the earth and the authority that he's given to him. If man has authority on the earth, which he does, Genesis 1.26 says God made man for that purpose, to have authority on the earth. If man has authority on the earth, then what more perfect way could God accomplish his will here in the earth by getting us to ask him to do what he wants to do? He wants the rain to be here on the earth. He wants the Holy Ghost to move in power and in manifestation. 
He wants these things to come to pass. So he tells us to pray for them. Our authority opens the door for him to do anything and everything that he has a mind to do. In Matthew chapter 11, it tells us about John the Baptist who was thrown in prison for criticizing the king. You remember John was the one that bore witness of the Holy Ghost descending on Jesus at his water baptism at the uh, Jordan River. He bears witness that the Holy Ghost descended on him in bodily shape as a dove and remained there upon him. And he's also the one that said to his disciples, behold the Lamb of, of God which takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he knew who Jesus was. He knew in part what Jesus' work would do. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. But after a while, John was placed in prison and after being there in prison, he sent two of his disciples to Jesus. Well, let's just start reading in Matthew 11 rather than summarize it. Let me just read it. Now, when John had heard of in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to him. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Two points I want to make on this real quick. We see John having been shaken by his time in prison. When we first come upon John in his ministry, he boldly declares that Jesus is the one, the one that takes away the sin of the world. He boldly declares Jesus as the Messiah. He witnesses the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus and remaining upon him. He knows. He's sure. But after some time in prison, he doesn't seem so sure anymore. Folks, please understand. This is a lesson that everybody in the body of Christ needs to know. And it's one that if you take heed to it, it'll cause you to take giant leaps forward in the spiritual growth. Circumstances, the circumstances of life, particularly the ones that the devil brings upon us, are, are brought to us, interjected upon us to make us doubt what we know. The time that, Paul, that John spent in prison was for one and only one purpose, and that is to make him unsure of what he knew for a fact or knew for certain about Jesus. It's no fun to be afflicted. It's no fun to have to endure and put up with things. And the longer it goes, the more opportunity there is for discouragement. But that's all the devil's got to bring against you. If he can't discourage you 
You remember in the Old Testament, it talks about how David, on one of his guerrilla warfare campaigns, they returned to their city and found it burned. And all their possessions had been taken and all the people had been taken. Well, these mighty men of David that had seen such success and seen the hand of God upon the things that they did and upon David, their grief over the loss of their families was so great that they started talking about killing David when he's the one that's brought them to victory. He's not the one that's brought affliction or trouble upon them. But it was so severe, they were so angry that David encouraged himself in the Lord. There are times when we have to encourage ourselves. And it doesn't mean that we've failed in some way. It's not a matter or, uh, or an exercise because of failure. It's to keep our eyes on the right thing. Abraham had to come to the place where he considered not his own body now dead, but rather to consider the truth that God had spoken to him when he promised him children. Second point I want you to see in this, in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 11, notice what Jesus said to convince John of who he was. The blind received their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them or to them. Now folks, the church is the church because we're in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things have passed away and everything becomes new. Talking about spiritual things. So if Jesus showed who he was by these works, healing miracles, blind eyes open, deaf ears open, the lame receiving the opportunity to walk again, if those were things that identified Jesus as the Messiah when he came to the earth, why would we expect it to be anything else to prove to the world today that Jesus is the risen Savior? I think a lot of times we wind up in a situation where we feel like we're trying to beg God or talk him out of or talk him into something to benefit us when the Bible says God's the one that wants it more than we do. And that's a matter of faith. <laughs> It's a matter of faith to believe and to understand just how much God wants to show his healing mercy and healing power in the earth. So I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures this morning to show the, what the showers of rain should be and what we should expect. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Anytime you see the phrase the kingdom of God 
or the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus is the one that gives us the definition for what that is. When he gave the Lord what's known as the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom is preaching that God wants the same thing for you here on the earth that he wants for you in heaven. Now nobody really has any questions about heaven. Nobody questions whether or not heaving will be present in heaven or peace or any good thing because we know, everybody knows, even if they may not be uh, familiar with the specific things that the Bible tells us about heaven, they know heaven is a place where God's rule is perfect. They know there's nothing in heaven that can cause men or women to suffer or even to be sad. So when the Bible talks about the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, one of Jesus' main focuses in his doctrine was to reveal that God wants the same thing for you here as he wants when you get to heaven. And why wouldn't that be? God never changes. So why would God want something better for you in heaven than you have here or can have here? There's no question about when we get to heaven concerning the presence of sickness. We know heaven is a perfect place and God made the earth to be perfect as well. Man messed that up when he fell in the Garden of Eden. But God's the same today as he will be when you get to heaven. And so there should be no difference and there is no difference between, he, between what he wants for you here and what he has prepared for us there. Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. Now that implies that he healed them all, doesn't it? We know that it speaks of healing for every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people in verse 23. And so the implication is, even though it doesn't exactly spell it out in this verse, the implication is that he healed them all. Now in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. Some people will say that this verse means that Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy when he was here on the earth. But, our, but Isaiah's prophecy is that he bore our sickness and he carried our pains. Now what does the word our mean? Who does it refer to? Well, anybody that uses the word our is talking about them and whoever else they're talking about. 
But you can't use our without recognizing that you're included as well. Well, then if the healing of the multitudes wasn't the fulfillment or the completion of Isaiah's prophecy, then what was fulfilled? Folks, the only way that Jesus could fulfill the prophecy, himself bear our infirmities and carried our sicknesses, is for everybody to be healed. Isaiah's prophecy means that Jesus paid the price for everybody to be saved not only from sin, but to heal, be healed from sickness and disease. It took the healing of all to fulfill what Isaiah said. Matthew chapter 12. This is after Jesus heals the man with the withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. They got all wound up about that. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Folks, how many were in these great multitudes? Now we know that certainly not everybody in the multitude was sick. But when the Bible talks about great multitudes, the very least that we can imagine or should imagine from that is a lot of people. And not only were there a lot of people that came to it, but what would you imagine the sick to do when they heard that Jesus was healing? And Jesus wasn't just healing people with small ailments. He was opening blind eyes. What would you imagine other blind people that heard about that to do? If you were blind and you heard that there was a man that was healing the blind, what would you do? You'd get to wherever he was. And the Bible talks about that. It talks about them coming from other countries, long distances, to get to where he was. And he healed them all. The next one is in Matthew chapter 12. No, that's, that's what I just read, isn't it? The next is Matthew chapter 14. This is after John the Baptist is beheaded. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. He had to have something they wanted for people to follow him into these desert locations. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Now we know how big this great multitude was. Because this is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. But remember the 5,000 were just men. It says there were 5,000 in this great multitude plus the women and children. So what size crowd is that? I think it's a conservative estimate 
to say that there was 15,000 people here. That's assuming that men and women had an equal interest in the spiritual things that Jesus was doing. Folks, if that was the case, if we are assuming correctly there, that's the first time in the history of the world where men are going to be as interested in spiritual things as women are. So here's a, a crowd of maybe 15,000 plus, and he healed them all. It said he healed their sick. How many people could fail to receive their healing and that's still to be true? I'm not trying to read anything into the scripture that's not there because it really doesn't need any help. And so there must be or could possibly have been individuals that didn't believe we know of Mark chapter 5 how the throng is around Jesus and people are pushing on him from every side and touching him. Everybody's reaching out to touch him. We'll see why as we continue to read these scriptures. And so in that crowd, there was only one that touched him by faith. But that doesn't seem to be the case in this, this great multitude. He healed their sick. Matthew chapter 15, verse 30. And great multitudes came to him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole. And the maimed means missing body parts those body parts were replaced and the lame to walk and the blind to see and they glorified the God of Israel. Now the very next thing tells us that Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and they have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. He winds up feeding 4,000 so this great multitude is 4,000 plus women and children. Could we assume that that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 12,000 people? Or more? And it says Jesus healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be holding, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now there where it says, and they wondered, the multitude wondered. Again, we don't know how many people in this crowd would have been sick, but it gives us a pretty hefty list of serious situations where people were healed from And it doesn't seem to make any distinction between somebody receiving their healing from sickness and disease, something like the flu, perhaps, and somebody that receives their maimed arm restored or hand restored or foot restored. 
Jesus didn't seem to make any distinction between those conditions. What I want you to see is that the crowd wondered. Imagine the atmosphere. Out in the desert, three days away from any cities. The power of God on display, the bright clouds. power of God is on display in such a degree that's making people shake their heads and wondering are they really is this really happening Psalm 127 says when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion we were like them that dream folks Jesus ministry called people to be in a condition or a state of mind to wonder if you're really seeing what you're seeing. To wonder, can this really be happening? Now folks, Haggai chapter 2, that we've read a great deal of lately, says the glory of the latter day church will be greater than the former. And if we see from Jesus' ministry What the Holy Ghost is amplifying and emphasizing in the record that we have so that we, not being present, could have an understanding of what things were like presents something to us that it's easy to catch yourself wondering, could this have really happened? Thank God it did really happen. Next is Matthew chapter 19. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Again, great multitudes is left to our imagination for how many that would be. But we've seen from two other places in this same gospel account, in Matthew's account, of crowds of 10 to 12 to 15,000 and maybe more. This is the last, in Matthew chapter 21, this is the last week of Jesus' time on earth. It says that after Jesus returned to Jerusalem, he went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now Jesus did this at the beginning of his ministry and now he's doing it at the end of his earthly ministry. Same condition, same situation where people are, are monetizing Obedience to God's word. But after he casts out the, chases out the money changers, verse 14 says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. That would imply that he didn't leave anybody out. 
And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And Jesus quotes the Old Testament to them, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Put yourself in their situation. Try not just to read it as a historical fact, but put yourself in this situation and recognize that Jesus is healing the blind and the lame. Both major conditions requiring the healing power of God. And the kids are carried away with it. The kids are carried away with it. Could that mean, I believe it does, but I present to you for your consideration that in the last days, one of the revivals we're going to see is with the children and the young people. Now children and young people are not usually the ones that are interested first and foremost in spiritual things. They're kids. They're too busy being kids. They're not sitting around looking at life and looking at mankind and trying to figure out the dilemmas of humankind being. But the power of God is on display in the temple in such a degree that the children are starting to sing and praise God for the results that take place. Imagine for a moment what that would be like. It's the result of Jesus showing himself to be a man under authority here on the earth, under God's authority. It's the result of Jesus showing himself to be the Messiah. I'll pose the question again. If this is what God wanted to do to prove that Jesus was who we know him to be, the Messiah that we know him to be, we could expect God's will to be the same in the last days as it was when Jesus first came. God wants these things to happen, folks. He wants his power to be on display. We're not going to have to try to talk him into anything. He's the one telling us this is how he is. Jesus said that one of the main purposes for his ministry on the earth was to reveal the Father. But what does this reveal about the Father? It shows us what he intends to do because of who he is. I think God hates sickness now just as much as he did when Jesus was here. I think God hates anything that keeps his children in bondage just as much as when Jesus was here on the earth. Mark chapter 3 
verse 7, but Jesus withdrew himself and with, and with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. And from Jerusalem and from Idumea and from beyond Jordan and they are about Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude when they had heard what great things he did and came to him. Well, here now we have a record of the things that we imagine to be true from some of the other scriptures we read. Now here it shows us that people are coming from other countries because they've heard that there's a healer. I'm sure some people have assumed that he's the Messiah after hearing the things that he did. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should, be wait, should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. He had to go out into the water a little bit to keep the people from pressing on him to, to such a degree as to their own detriment. He spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. Here's why. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. Now, as we mentioned just a little bit before, Mark chapter 5 tells us about the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And during that time, when she finally reaches the edge, the hem of his garment, and healing power flowed out of Jesus and into her. When Jesus looks around to see her that had touched him, the disciples remark that everybody's touching him. So we've got an implication. I don't know if you could build a doctrine off of it. Just by pushing, on, pushing to him to make contact with him. So much so that he's got to sit in the boat to teach the ones that are on the, sea, on the seashore. Folks, can you imagine Christians doing that same kind of thing now? Can you imagine worldwide the church doing the works of Jesus. Not so there's one or two or a handful of people that are leading the great last day revival, but rather the last day revival taking place all over the earth. No man gaining glory from it. But displaying to the world the mercy of God to heal. Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And the devils also came out of many crying, crying out and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them 
and suffered them not to speak for they knew that he was the Christ. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. And he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. I love how that states that. They came to hear him and be healed. They came to hear him and be healed. The Bible says that God sent his word and healed us. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue or power out of him, and healed them all. Jesus didn't have to hurry to get to everybody before the healing power ran out. This was an ordinary course of Jesus responding to the needs of the people no matter how many people there were. And certainly with great multitudes you would imagine that it would take longer to get to everybody if they're healing them if he's healing them only by touching them or laying his hands on them. Now there are times where the Bible says Jesus spoke and healed them rather than touching them or laying hands on them. But the number one way that Jesus ministered healing that we have record of in the four Gospels was by laying his hands on them. Luke chapter 9. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. He spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. If the kingdom of God is what Jesus said, thy will be done. How does it say it? Thy kingdom come. There it is. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He attaches those two things. He couples the kingdom of God where the will of God is done in the earth And then he demonstrates that by healing them. Just a couple more will be done. Luke 17. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, He said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. These ten lepers got a little rain shower of healing. And here's another thing that I don't know if we can build a doctrine off of it. 
But it seems to imply that the one that came back to glorify God got something extra. Got something more than what he got the first time. Well, we see from other scriptures that we read that people that were maimed were healed or made whole. That's what leprosy does. Leprosy eats away body parts. So it's possible that any body parts he had lost to leprosy were made whole again because he returned to glorify from what we know of is Isaiah because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the brokenhearted and preach recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord then it says when he was finished reading from the scriptures he sat down and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, it's Jesus saying, these verses that I've just read to you are talking about me. Well, the people didn't like that too much. They thought they knew Jesus because this was the hometown that he grew up in. And Jesus says that a prophet's not with honor not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. Notice verse 5, Mark chapter 6, verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. Now, if you look up this word could in the Bible, in the original Greek, it's a very interesting word. It means could. This is an accurate translation. And he could there do no mighty work, save or accept that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. This word sick in Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament words means sickly, people with minor ailments, people that didn't have too much wrong with them. He wasn't able to open any blind eyes in Nazareth. He wasn't able to heal any that, anybody that was lame in Nazareth and he could there do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief he marveled because of their unbelief it tells us why he couldn't do anything there or do anything of note because of their unbelief and he went round about the villages teaching the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So we see that Jesus must be teaching to counteract their unbelief. Why is he marveling at their unbelief? Because folks, believing God is just as easy as being in doubt. In fact, doubt is believing, just believing in the wrong thing. Jesus marvels because they refuse to believe. He tries to overcome it by teaching. What would he be teaching? Well, it seems obvious to me that at least a part of what he's teaching is the God's will to heal. A part of what he's teaching is that man has authority to decide what he will have here on the earth. That was the doctrine that people were amazed that he spoke. 
at other places in the scripture. So here it shows us what God's attitude is even in conditions where healing is not readily receivable. He's not mad at the people but because God is so much healing is so so much a part of God's work on the earth he's just trying to get them into a place where they receive. Now we don't know if he ever went back to Nazareth again. There's no record in the scripture that tells us about it. We have absolutely no idea if he was ever able to convince anybody else in that crowd of God's healing mercy. But what it does show us is that all we have to do is choose to believe and we set ourselves in position for the healing power of God to change situations in our lives. Acts chapter 3 tells us that God's still in the healing business. Peter and John go to the the temple in Jerusalem and they go through the beautiful gate and there's a guy that's stationed there every day and he's asking for alms, begging for money. But Peter says, silver and gold have I none but such as we have, give we thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Now folks, here's a good good example of God's attitude towards sickness and disease. And it wasn't a minor thing It was somebody that had never walked before in his life. We don't know what the reason for that was. We don't have any evidence of any doctor diagnosis or anything like that. Could be that he was born deformed, missing something that was necessary to walk. Or it could have been the injury We don't know for sure, but we know the name of Jesus was sufficient to overcome whatever the problem might have been. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. As a result of Peter preaching to the people after the man is healed, Peter reached down, took him by the hand and lifted him up and his ankle bones received strength. Maybe the problem was his ankles. And he leaped and walked. Folks, one of the first things we see about the church after that the Holy Ghost is poured out, we might call that the early rain because it was at the beginning of the church, the beginning of the church age. Jesus seems to be in the same healing business as he was before he went to the cross. We see that healing shower continuing where people 
Healing was such a prevalent part of the early days of the church that people are coming and being laid into the streets hoping that the shadow of Peter might overpass them because people were being healed by Peter's shadow. It seems that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm believing for big things in these last days. And it seems that God is trying to get to me certain things to change my thinking or to tweak my thinking about certain things to overcome some wrong conceptions or wrong ideas that I had about the healing power of God. I'm looking for a healing wave to sweep through our church to make known to those outside the body of Christ that God is so good that he's made a way for us to overcome any and every manner of sickness and disease no matter how long it's been or how severe it is. I'm looking for healing waves. I'm looking for showers of rain to heal people in wheelchairs, to make cancerous tumors disappear, to make blind eyes to see, and for the maimed to be made whole. Now, folks, if God wanted those things for Jesus in the early days of the church, but he doesn't want them for us, then he's told us some lies in the scripture. But thank God the scripture is true. And he wants these things for us more than we want them for ourselves. And I believe it shall be even as he's spoken. What do you believe? Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and just worship him for a few moments. We worship you, Father. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that healing is in your DNA if you had DNA. We thank you, Father, that as we ask and have asked, for the rain in these last days. We thank you for making bright clouds, lightnings, a display of your power and a manifestation of your presence to bring healing to the sick, whether it's a minor thing or an impossible thing because there's nothing impossible with you. We thank you, Father, for doing great works because Jesus came to the earth and paid the price for sin, sickness, and poverty.
Father, we call for every person that's been diagnosed with cancer to be healed from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. We call for every blind eye to be open in the name of Jesus. We call for vision to be restored in the name of Jesus. We call for every person that's been diagnosed with sickness and disease to be restored to health and for their wounds to be for their wounds to be healed. We thank you, Father, that you sent your word and healed us. Father, have your way in this place. Have your way in this place. Thank God your way is healing. We claim healing from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We thank you, Father, that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. Father, we thank you that your healing works in our church would bring healing to many. We thank you that your healing work will produce the precious fruit of the earth. Not through church programs, but through a display of your healing mercy. We call for it to be so, and we thank you that you've heard us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Thank God for the rain. Thank 